All right, you can open your Bibles to the book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians is where we'll go. 2 Corinthians and chapter number 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Well, I hope you enjoyed the sunshine today. It looks like there might be a little rain tomorrow. And uh, that was one thing I really appreciated, you know, when all that quarantine stuff happened back in March. Remember that? Uh, Mar- end of March and the beginning of April, uh, when we, where we were in Alabama. Boy, there was just so much sunshine, and it just really helped make the days um, pass along. And so that was, uh, so I hope you're enjoying the sunshine. Maybe you're able to get out and such and, um, and uh, see the things that are going on, going around. But uh, we're glad that you're here. You made it here on a Tuesday night, and uh, I hope you're ready to hear from God's Word. Appreciate uh, if you've been able to, um, I, know, I know every person in some way sacrificed something to be here. And so I appreciate that. And uh, I'm glad to see everyone here. Glad my friends, the Fullers, are here. Appreciate y'all being here. And uh, they were, um, I did a youth rally in the Kingsport area uh, at their church 10 years ago, stayed at their house. And so um, coming back to Kingsport, we uh, uh, gave them a call and we got to spend a little time with them yet on Saturday. And so just appreciate that y'all came tonight. Thanks for being here. And um, so let's go ahead and let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter number 12. And um, let's go ahead and we'll start at chapter 12 and verse number 1. Now, I will say this as we jump into it. You know, the, um, this, uh, uh, I don't know if you've ever gotten to this, uh, this chapter of Scripture here in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And you, um, you know, probably verse, the verses we're going to really focus on tonight, verses 7 through 10, are pretty familiar, okay? They're pretty familiar and uh, probably ones you've heard before. But the verses leading up to that, maybe you've read them before and just said, well, praise the Lord. Uh, let's get on to verse 7, the part that I actually understand. Because there's some, un, some I don't know, almost unusual things, but it's not uh, that difficult to understand. Let me help you with it a little bit. Um, this, uh, in the, uh, the book of 2 Corinthians, especially in chapters 10, 11, and 12, um, Paul, the Apostle Paul, has really gotten challenged about whether or not He was a legitimate apostle. In fact, there were a lot of um, false teachers uh, that were coming in and accusing Paul of not being a real apostle. They said he doesn't have the real credentials. He doesn't have the real thing. And one of the things that the false teachers uh, were saying about him was, Paul is not a real apostle. He has not seen revelations. He has not seen visions like we have. Okay, And so, Paul, uh, in order to defend himself, just so that, not because Paul was concerned about his own name, but because he was concerned for the church at Corinth, he said in verse number one, it's not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. In other words, uh, Paul was saying, folks, I really do not want to brag, but you could almost say, these false teachers have pushed my hand and forced me to talk about this so that you realize uh, that I am, uh, you know, I am who I said I am. He says it is expedient, uh, it is not expedient for me, doubtless to glory. He says, I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. So he says, basically, yeah, I did have some revelations. I have seen some visions. They say I haven't, just so that you know, church at Corinth, not trying to brag, but it really, I actually have seen some visions and some revelations. In fact, and it's so funny how he says in verse number two, I knew a man in Christ about 14, above 14 years ago. Have you, ever, um, have you ever wanted to know something 
especially, you know, probably plenty of you are on Facebook and you want to know what your friends out there would say about something. And so you said, you asked a question and at the end of it, and maybe it was kind of controversial or maybe somewhat (laughs) private. And at the end of it, you put, um, I'm asking for a friend, you know, and uh, everybody knows, yeah, you just want to know yourself, but you put, you know, you put that little thing at the end, asking for a friend, okay, so Paul almost takes that attitude when he says, I knew a man in Christ, really, most Bible scholars are agreed that Paul's just referring to himself, okay, when he says, I knew a man, you know, I knew this guy once, I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago. Now, when um, 2 Corinthians is being scripted, uh, if you subtract back about 14 years, you get around the year A.D. 42, between A.D. 42 and A.D. 44. You say, is that significant? Sort of. That was about the year range when Paul, uh, after he was on the road to Damascus, met Jesus. The Bible indicates that Paul spent several years in the desert of Arabia being personally discipled by Jesus Christ. Read that, and that's a neat thing to think about. It's one of those sections of time where you're thinking, you know, Paul, couldn't you have like had a notepad or something, just be jotting down some notes of what God was saying so that we could read it here later on? But um, he's spending time being trained by God, and the 14 years ago probably would have been around the time that Paul was training in Arabia. Uh, for the ministry that God had for him. So he says, I knew a man in Christ. You know, I knew a guy uh, about above 14 years ago, whether in the body, I cannot tell, or whether out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth. In other words, he says, this vision that this, this man experienced, that, that Paul experienced, um, it was something very special. And he says, uh, whether this was actually like an in-the-body experience or out-of-the-body experience, I'm not totally sure. God knows, but he says, such an one, this man, Paul, he says, was caught up to the third heaven. Now, that always confused me. The third heaven. Like, does heaven have, like, levels to it? Like, if you're, like, really saved, you're in level three or something like that? What, what, are the, what is the third heaven? Okay, third heaven was just, it was just a reference that they used in the culture back then. Because um, they had different kinds of, uh, they used, when they used the word heaven, they might refer to different things. And they had could we say three levels to the heavens? Level one, heaven, uh, when people were talking about level one heaven, they were just referring to the sky. You know, the heavens declare the glory of God. Uh, or um, and level two was outer space, okay? And that was the heavens way beyond. Now the third heaven, that's where God lives, okay? So when, so when Paul says, I was caught up into the third heaven, it's not like Paul is saying, you know, there's all these levels inside of God's abode, you know, there's uh, the first level and second and third, and if you're real, no. It, third heaven just is another reference to the dwelling place of God, heaven, okay? So he says, um, and I knew such a man, verse three, eh, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth, how that he was caught up into paradise. And there's how we know, especially this third heaven is referring uh, to God's home. And it says, and he heard unspeakable words which is which it is not lawful for a man to utter the phrase they're not lawful it means it is not allowed to speak for men to speak in other words he says that i had an experience whether i was in the body or out of the body i'm not sure god knows but he says about 14 years ago i got to see heaven he says i literally saw where god dwells whoa, have you had a vision about that good? You know, he says, I got to see where God dwells. And he says, and I heard unspeakable words. And he says, and the things that I saw, I am not 
allowed to tell. By the way, it's just, um, you know, when people have these I went to heaven and came back experiences and then they write a book or, or make a movie or something like that, that j- you can just know that's kind of sketchy, okay? I remember being in a store and picking up that um, uh, Don Piper's book, The 90 Minutes in Heaven Thing, just reading through his heaven experience. And really, I'm just going to be honest with you, reading that, I felt like I was reading uh, about the last book in the Narnia series. And because also, it just kind of made me think also, you know what, when Paul Paul actually, we know Paul saw heaven for real, okay? You want to talk about heaven for real. Paul really saw it, whether the boy saw it or not, whether Piper saw it or not, I don't know. Uh, Probably not because the Bible says, once you see it, you cannot speak of what you have seen. You know, when they're coming back and making a movie or writing a book about it, they probably haven't seen exactly what Paul saw, okay? But Paul says, I actually got to see the realities of heaven. I saw the dwelling place of God. God, and uh, sorry, I can't tell you all about it, but if you want to know, have I had visions? Yeah, I have, he says, and of such a one, verse 5, he says, will I glory? Get of myself, I will not glory, but in mine infirmities. Verse 6, he then says, for though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool. You know what he said? Is that because he had this vision, you know what started to happen? He started to want to brag. Paul tells us that in verse 6. That's what he just said. He said, though I would desire to glory, he says, the desire to brag, to boast, to get prideful started to come on me. And he said, I started to want to brag. And he said, this desire came. And I'll say the truth, he said, but now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. And so Paul says, I didn't want to brag about, uh, about myself. And, and, and I love how he says at the end, I didn't want people to think of me above what he seeth me to be. In other words, Paul is saying, I didn't want people to think that I'm some spiritual giant that they can never achieve to because y'all ain't seen heaven. You know, I didn't want people to think that of me, and I was, I was scared of that happening because of this incredible thing that had happened to him. You know, you know how easy it is for us to want, once we have seen great accomplishments or great wonderful things in our lives, how quickly we like to brag and take the credit. Do we not? Maybe you're, um, I don't know, maybe, maybe you're a Sunday school teacher, and all of a sudden, Sunday school class starts to grow, and there's new kids, kids even getting saved in your Sunday school class, and all of a sudden we get tempted to brag, whether vocally or silently, because we're spiritual, so we don't do it vocally, we just do it silently, and we think, wow, look what I did. Or maybe it's uh, something like you get, maybe you're a good witness and you're starting to get to lead people to the Lord. You're seeing people get saved and you're getting to see these things and how quickly and cleverly we get tempted to brag. Maybe you've come into, could we just say you've come into wealth. Maybe your, uh, your business has finally taken off. You're finally getting to enjoy money, which God says is not wrong if he has blessed you with money, but it's causing you to brag. To think of yourself as better than someone else. Uh, maybe there's been, maybe you got a promotion at work and you can see where your career is taking you. You can, you can already see it because of the promotion. Your retirement age has just come down a little bit lower. You'll be able to retire a little bit earlier. This is good. These are great things and it's making you want to brag. Maybe your children uh, have grown up and they're doing great things for God and you're just so proud of the job you did parenting. 
Folks, have we not, I have a one and a half year old right now. Have we not learned that we are all terrible at parenting? And that we need God? And that anything that comes of it is of God and definitely not of us, of us, of us sinners? Um, maybe you see children having great talents and you think, wow, <laughs> you know where they got that. <laughs> And uh, yeah, out loud you'd say, their mother, but in, in quiet you'd say, no, it was me, it was me. And so we like to brag, we are tempted to brag. Or maybe you're um, seeing academic achievements, maybe you're even seeing answers to prayer, and it seems like God is on your side and answering prayer. And of all things, we want to brag. Paul said, when this vision happened to me, he said, I wanted to start to brag. And so lest he should vocally or silently brag and become prideful, God allowed, a very familiar thing, God allowed a thorn in the flesh so that Paul wouldn't get proud. Now, you know, us, uh, you know, us here in America, we, we do not like inconveniences. We do not like it, uh, you know, when, um, uh, we do not like, could we say the word discomfort? We don't even like a little bit of it. We are just, um, we are so padded here in America. The very suggestion, the very idea of discomfort really just kind of uh, repul- is repulsive to probably a lot of us. And it, it's just, uh, it's our American culture. It just really is. Um, this is um, something I found. This is back in 1996. Okay, we're talking about almost 25 years ago. A place called Bridger Wilderness Area. They had comment cards that you could fill out. Now, of course, comment cards. Who wants to put something nice on it when you could put something mean on it? And so, uh, so they had all these comment cards, and here's what some of the people put on there complained about their discomforts while uh, viewing the Bridger Wilderness area in 1996. Here's some of them. First one, tra- uh, the trails need to be wider so people can walk while holding hands. Okay. Trails need to be constructed. Please avoid building trails that go uphill. <laughs> um, oh, this is a good one. There are too many bugs, leeches, spiders, and spiderwebs. Please spray the wilderness to rid the area of these pests. Here's another one. Would you mind please paving the trail so that they can be snowplowed during the winter? Um, cha- oh, <laughs> chair lifts need to be in some places so that we can get to the wonderful views without having to hike to them. Um, here's one. A camper said, the, coyote- the coyotes made too much noise last night and kept me awake. Could you please eradicate these annoying animals? Um, oh, this, is, uh, this might be the best one. A small uh, comment card. Small deer came into my camp and stole a jar of pickles. Is there any way I can get reimbursed? Because we don't like discomfort. You know, your poor pickles. Um, uh, another suggestion. Reflectors need to be placed on trees at least every 50 feet so people can hike at night with flashlights. I don't know about you, but I never did hikes at night with flashlights out in the wilderness. I mean, that's, I don't know. You know, there's some people. Um, one said escalators would help on the steep ups, uphill sections. Um, sounds like what they need at the wilds. Um, how about uh, the places where trails do not exist are not well marked? <laughs> okay. Um, uh, one person said there's too many rocks on the mountains. And one person said, complained and said, it'd be really nice if we could put a McDonald's at the trailhead. You know? And people, I, I mean, you read some of these and you just think, um, I, I don't think you know how to hike. I don't think you know what camping is. I don't think you really understand. And you know, you know what that reflects? We chuckle at that because we know, you know, and that was 25 years ago. 
We don't like discomfort. If it doesn't make us feel good, we don't want it and we think someone ought to fix it. And we want life to go well. I say we, because I, I do not like interruptions. I do not like interruptions to my schedule, interruptions to my calendar, interruptions to my day. I just don't, and probably a lot of you don't either. And you know what God said? That when things were going the best, God allowed Paul to have an interruption called a thorn in the flesh and was to keep him from becoming proud and bragging. So I want us tonight to look at how to thrive with a thorn. How to thrive with a thorn. So what is now this, I think this is important here at the beginning. What is the thorn in the flesh? Because the Bible says that God allowed, so that he didn't, uh, so that Paul did not become exalted above measure, God allowed, quote, a thorn in the flesh. What is the thorn in the flesh? Well, first of all, uh, verse 7 says, lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. First thing I see is that a thorn in the flesh is given by God. It was given to me. And remember, he said, so that I don't get exalted above measure. And in these times, God may allow something to lest we be exalted above measure because, you know, Paul's great experiences in heaven could have ruined his ministry on earth. And this thorn, whatever it was, punctured any pride that might surge in him, you know, from having this grand entry into heaven. But notice this also is that the thorn in the flesh, it's given by God, but it is also an annoyance. The word thorn is a word that you could translate as thorn, as is translated here. And in other places, uh, you could use this word to refer to a splinter. This word is only used here in the New Testament. Uh, the Greek word translated as thorn is only used here in the New Testament. And you could translate it as a thorn or as a splinter. Now, you who hike, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, if you get a little something, something in your shoe, can that not stop you? You, uh, plenty of us, if, you, if you've ever hiked before, you know you are willing to stop the hike to get a pebble or something that small out of your shoe. It, it, because it's that big of a deal. Because, you know, sometimes it's those little things. It doesn't have to be a broken leg. But if there is something small that you cannot get rid of, it's something that creates an annoyance. It's something that even though it's so tiny, it screams so loud that it distracts you from accomplishing the goal of your hike. But I notice also that uh, what is this thorn in the flesh is that it says, well, it's in your flesh. So I, so I thought through, you know, I was thinking through that and I thought, well, you know, he's not real specific about what he says by what he means by flesh. You can have two references. First one that we would think of right away is his physical flesh. So this thorn that he had, this great annoyance that he had to keep him from getting proud was in his flesh, and it could be referring to his physical flesh, something that irritated his physical body all the time. Do you have, do you have something that irritates your physical body all the time? A lot of us do. You know, Paul even said in Galatians 4, 13, when he was talking to the Galatians, he says, you know how through the infirmity of my, the flesh I preached the gospel unto you at the first. In other words, he's saying, you all in Galatia, he says, you know that I had a physical issue and yet I was having to minister in spite of that. And so his thorn, it could have been in his physical flesh. You know, um, one of the... Um, 
One of the, uh, I guess you could say, heroes of preachers is a man by the name of Charles Spurgeon. He was once referred to as the Prince of Preachers, a man uh, who is uh, you know, a very quotable man, had excellent messages, a great preacher. You know what, Spur- Charles Spurgeon uh, was said that uh, what could be clearly identified as gout seized Charles Spurgeon in 1869 when he was, listen, 35. At 35, he had a disease, gout, and for the remainder of his life, he would be laid aside for weeks or even months out of every year because of this illness. Just two years after he got it, in 1871, Spurgeon said, it is a great mercy to be able to change sides while lying in bed. You ever felt that way? You ever been there? He said, did you ever, this is Spurgeon, he said, did you ever lie a week on one side? Did you ever try to turn and find yourself quite helpless? Uh, did, you, did others ever lift you and by their kindness reveal to you the miserable fact that they must lift you back again at once into the old position for as bad as it was, it was preferable to the other? You ever been there? trying to sleep at night. In fact, Spurgeon said, it is a great mercy to get one hour's sleep at night. What a mercy have I felt to have only one knee tortured at a time. He said, what a blessing to be able to put the foot on the ground again, even if it was only for a minute. And Charles Spurgeon was seldom free from pain from 1871 on. And eventually, I mean, it was about 20-something years later, the disease killed him. But he had to live his entire life with an annoyance. Here's a man who is trying to preach, who is trying to do God's will, a man who is trying to live for God, accomplish God's will, see people saved, and he is allowed by God to have a thorn in his physical flesh, uh, an annoyance. Another man, a preacher I think of is a guy by the name of Azahel Nettleton, an evangelist, saw as many as 30,000 people saved and discipled, and what they said about him was that from the age 38 for the end of his life, he had health problems that limited his travel and his ministry from recurring malaria. I mean, this is a guy who is willing to stay months at a time to preach to people, see people get saved, and stay afterwards to disciple the new believers. God allowed him to have malaria. This man who's trying uh, to accomplish God's will. And Paul, you know, there's lots of guesses. Guesses, I, I read, as I read all these commentaries, guesses of what was Paul's. Was it a physical thorn in the flesh? It could have been uh, something to do with his eyes. Ophthalmia, uh, whatever that is. Something to do with your eyes, malaria, migraine, headaches, epilepsy, a speech impediment. It's just a bunch of guesses. We don't know what it was. But whatever it was, this physical issue he had was magnified so loud it could distract him from doing ministry. And Paul could literally see, just like Spurgeon could, he could see that this, uh, that this thorn in his flesh, maybe it was in his physical flesh, literally interfered with his ministry. Now, in our minds, we'd immediately say, well, it's interfering with my ministry. So, no, duh, God, we know the answer to this. Take it away. Take it away, because it's interfering with uh, what you've called me to do. Uh, this uh, this uh, issue is interfering with what I am supposed to do. In fact, um, Spurgeon said, he said, I have to look after the orphanage. I have charge of a church with four thousand members. Uh, I have sometimes during the week there are marriages and burials to be undertaken. There's a weekly sermon to be revised, the sword and trial to be edited. That was like his magazine to be edited. And besides all that, I have a weekly average of 500 letters to answer. 
You thought emails were bad. And you know what Spurgeon said, or at least his thought was, my goodness, here's all the things that God has for me to do. Why? Why do I have gout? Why do I have a disease that lays me up for months at a time? Maybe, you know, this, so maybe this thorn, this annoyance was in his physical flesh. But, you know, sometimes Paul used the word flesh to refer to spiritual flesh. Now, what did Paul mean? When Paul was referring to spiritual flesh, um, he's referring to the part of him, you could say, that part of us that still craves sinful things. I think that would be a real simple way to put it. Our, our spiritual flesh is, um, is the part of us that still craves sinful things. Because if you're here tonight, you've asked Jesus to be your Savior, then you have you know, Christ living in you. But you know, there's still that part of you that even though you, you have to fight it and you don't want it, you still have, there's still those cravings for wrong things. And sometimes, even in uh, some of the rabbinic literature, they use the word thorn in the idea of a spiritual annoyance. Something that was constantly at him in a spiritual way. In a spiritual way. You know, what could that that be? Well, it could be referring to an incessant temptation. It could be referring to maybe a persecution. Maybe it could be referring to depression. But you know, Paul gives us a little clue into what this thorn in the flesh might be. And it, it could be a physical thorn. And, but the problem is sometimes that's the one we think of very quickly, and it quite possibly could have been. But there's another aspect to this that may let us know. What was this thorn in the flesh that Paul had? Well, let's look at verse 7. Uh, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. You know what he calls the thorn in the flesh? A messenger of Satan. You know what the word messenger is? Do you, I don't know if you listened in on Sunday night to the, um, how many of you were able to listen in Sunday night? I know it was live streamed as such. Okay, a few of you. Okay, remember how we talked about that word angel, unto the angel, the church of Ephesus, and we said how uh, the word angel's not, sometimes the Greek word angelos is a literal angel. Sometimes it's referred to as a messenger. Here is a scripture verse where the Greek word angelos is translated as messenger. And you could say almost like this, an agent. So he says the thorn in the flesh was an agent working for the devil. Now, by the way, also, when he describes his thorn in the flesh and says it was a messenger, an agent of Satan, um, when, when the Bible used the word messenger, it always refers to some kind of person some kind of being. Uh, you know, maybe it could be a reference to an angelic being. Other times a reference to a human, to an actual person. But he said one thing about this thorn in the flesh is that it was a messenger of Satan. It was a, an agent, uh, it was an agent of Satan. And you know, I think on that and I think, you know, Paul had people in his life that tempted him maybe to the point of bitterness and anger. Men like Alexander the coppersmith, who he says withstood me to my, I think it was him, withstood me. And uh, he's got other men like uh, Hyman, I haven't written down, Hymenaeus, and he's got a Philetus. He actually names these men and basically says, these men oppose my ministry with fervor and with energy. And do you not think that, um, you know, did you know that when, um, if you're, you know, for maybe your pastor or someone else, when someone in the ministry is trying to do right and someone in an angry tone lets them have it, do you know that even if the pastor is able to rebut it there, you know some of those words stick in their heads? 
Just to let you know, just the same way you get hurt when people say words, even if they're not true, same thing happens with pastors. Those words stick in heads. And these three, these men, the Judaizers, the false teachers, maybe these words have been stuck in there. And you know, in verse 10, he refers to reproaches and persecutions. Those things come from people. Those are not physical ailments. Those are things that come from people. And you know what he says? He says, really, his thorn in the flesh might be an attack on his spiritual flesh that came from someone who was basically an agent for the devil, and they may not have even known it. But he says this about this messenger of Satan, about the thorn in the flesh. It says that it beats on the Christian. He said, the messenger of Satan was sent to buffet me. We don't use the word buffet very much. The word buffet means to pummel, to beat on someone. Now, uh, you know, old school, old school boxing, you know, if you knock someone down, you wait for them to get back up, and then you go at it again. Uh, nowadays, there's this uh, very popular form of, uh, of fighting called MMA, mixed martial arts. And in that kind of thing, uh, you know, it's not, uh, there's, uh, there's some rules, but there's a lot less. You can punch, kick, you know, all this kind of stuff. And, um, but one of the things with MMA is that when a guy goes down, if you can finally get a swing in and you get a hit, and, you know, that one hit and you can see it, where all of a sudden his face kind of goes, whoa, 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 and, you know, he's dazed, he can't see, and he kind of falls down trying to figure out what's going on. In MMA, you can jump on top of him and pummel him. In just a few moments after it, the ref moves in, blows his whistle, and says, get back, get back. But for a moment, that MMA fighter jumps on top of him and wails on him as fast as he can before the referee gets to him. You know what that, that wailing on top of someone's face is? That's the word buffet. And he says, there was a thorn in the flesh, an agent of Satan, and it was sent, and it's beating on me. You ever felt that way? That there was something maybe that was annoying your spiritual flesh that was someone was pushing you to want to sin and making you angry and it was just nonstop beating on you. But you know what Paul says at the end? He says, I, I realize though that this, tempta- that this thorn in the flesh, that messenger from Satan sent to buffet me, he says, I have it lest I should be exalted above measure. And so what he does is he has uh, realized that God has allowed these calamities, this, whatever this thorn in the flesh was, whether it was something that attacked his physical flesh, something that attacked his spiritual flesh, whatever it was, God was allowing it to keep him from sin. Folks, realize this, that sometimes God has allowed a thorn and annoyance in your flesh to keep you from some sin. And it might be the mercy of God that's keeping you from some kind of sin. Now, notice then, he goes to prayer. Verse number eight says, for this thing, he says, I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. Now, notice this, is that this prayer request, it was not sinful. It was, what this prayer request from Paul was not sinful. It is a perfectly normal thing for a Christian to ask God for deliverance from sickness, from pain, from emotional pain, for deliverance from a person. You know, Paul did not know. Paul didn't know if this uh, was a thorn in the flesh that was just a temporary thing or if it's something God wanted to, him to live with for his entire life. Paul didn't know, and so he, so he prayed about it. And so his prayer wasn't sinful. And notice this also. His prayer request was heard. God did hear him. God most definitely heard him thrice, three times. He took a special prayer meeting begging God to get rid of this thorn in the flesh, whatever it may have been. And you know, but his prayer was heard and his prayer was answered. The answer was no. 
See, we, if we don't get an answer of yes, oftentimes we assume that God is not heard or God will not answer. Well, God always hears and he does answer. Just the problem is we, we start to question God when, when the answer turns out to be a no. And so his answer from God was not a yes, I will take it away. Because in Paul's mind, Paul's mind, here's an apostle. He said, my best line of thinking was, God, if you get rid of the thorn, I could do ministry better. Some of you feel that way about accomplishing God's will. God, if you get rid of the thorn in the flesh, be it a physical ailment, be it a person in your life, you say, if we could get rid of those, those things. God, I could serve you so much better. And God says, no, you wouldn't. Actually, you'd get really proud. You'd start to brag about you. And he says, actually, I have a different answer. I'm going to have to say no to this, and I'm going to have to say no to this. And instead, he says, and notice, you know, Paul, I mean, if anyone, you would think if someone could pray, it would be Paul. You would think, uh, you know, he kind of, you know, saw heaven, you know, so he probably has, you know, probably is okay at praying. You know, God said no. God said no, and why? All right, so please don't, please don't get worried about this, okay, because when I'm up here, believe it or not, I keep, I'm watching the time all the time, and so let me give you just a few quick things about how to thrive with a thorn. You say, that was the introduction? Yeah, relax. The rest of it is not that long. How to thrive with a thorn. Let me just give you a couple quick thoughts here, is that as he prayed, how can I thrive with a thorn in my life? How can I do that? Well, first of all, he says, you need to realize God's resources. God said, uh, he said unto me, God said, well, we had showed, uh, I like how they had the red there, indicating that his conversation seemed to be with Jesus himself. Jesus said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for thee. He says, I, God says, I have grace that is sufficient. The word sufficient means adequate. In other words, it's enough. I already, by the way, he says, I already have it. Some people will go to prayer and say, God, make your grace sufficient. What, what are we praying that for? It's, grace is already sufficient. We just need to ask for it. It's, what is the, the Hebrews 4 says, let's come therefore to the throne of grace so that we may obtain mercy and grace to help in our time of need. God says, you can come. My grace is adequate and is sufficient. And I love this. He says, my grace is sufficient for thee. For you. In other words, God has grace specifically designed, a, a comforting grace that has been crafted and carved for you. Because you and your need is different from theirs. And God says, I have grace that if you will come and plead with me for it, he says, I have grace for your particular thorn that is particularly crafted for you and for your needs. And he says, okay, so resource number one is his grace, but notice this other resource he says. He says, and for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Now he says, but the word strength there is the, the Greek word dunamis, which we would say, where we get the word, kind of the word dynamite from. And the idea is the word power. So when he says my strength, he's saying my power. Notice, by the way, Paul's not just talking about, you know, God's not talking about just power in general to come to you. He says, my power. You want to know what resource is available to you? It is the literal power of God. You know, Paul had been able to go up to heaven, but one thing he was about to find out is that the power of heaven could come down to him. For his thorn in the flesh. And he says, my power is made perfect. That phrase, made perfect, it's a, it's a verb that has the idea of completing a goal. 
You know what God's goal is? To get you through the thorn. Not necessarily to take away the thorn, but to take you, could we even not even say through the thorn, but to rise you above the thorn. To bear you through it, to rise, to raise you above it and bear you through. And you know what God says is that my power, not yours, my power can complete the goal. My power can complete the goal and can, uh, uh, it can be made perfect. It can complete the goal of getting you through and getting you through the pain of the thorn. So he says, so, so realize, so if you want to thrive with a thorn, realize uh, the resources, God's grace and God's strength, which, you know, God can handle anything. He says, you can have my strength, but he says, there's a really important other side to this. You want to thrive when you have a thorn that God apparently is never going to take away. Well, you better realize I have grace and I have strength. But he says, you better also realize, accept your own inadequacy. Because notice what he says. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Now, when we use the word weakness, usually we're talking, when we say, so, oh, she's very weak right now. What do we mean? She has a little bit of strength. It ain't much but it's at least a little bit. Do you know something that this Greek word here translated into our Bible as weakness is um, it's not a word that means to have a little bit of strength, but you really need a lot of help. It's a word that means the absence of any strength. In other words, his, he's saying my strength, God says my power, my strength will complete the goal of getting you through the pain of the thorn when you realize you have no strength. You know, I played, um, uh, I enjoyed video games, uh, especially more in my junior high years, and one of the games I enjoyed was playing, I, I love football anyway. I don't care what kind of football, if it's football, whether it's um, playing it in person, playing it in video games, uh, play, you know, watching it on TV, any kind of league, college, pro, uh, I've even watched arena football, folks, because I love football. And one of the things I had was, um, I got myself a video game, uh, the, the football one that comes out called Madden. I had Madden 2002, it was a little while ago, and um, and one of the things, uh, when you are, when you get players onto your team, or you can even create players, they, uh, they have all these attributes of different things that you need for a football player. And every one of those attributes is given a number between zero, I think they might, it might have been one, but one and 100. Or one and 99, I think is what they had, one and 99. So, you know, let's say if you had a quarterback, you know, if, you know, the lowest you can go is one, and the highest you can go is 99. So if you wanted a decent quarterback on your video game team, you needed a guy who had, you know, maybe his throw power was, you know, like 90, 91. That's real good. And if his throw accuracy then was, you know, maybe like a, a, you know, a, a 92, 93, boy, that's really good. He can throw far and accurate. You know, you didn't want a, you didn't want a quarterback on your team who had like a, a 70 on his throw power and a 59 on his throw accuracy because that guy, could, he couldn't throw it very far and it wouldn't be accurate anyway. You wanted a guy who was up in the 90s, okay? But you know, uh, you know nobody had, uh, well, I should say this, one of the categories, one of the attributes that all these players had was something called strength. You know, if it's a lineman, he's got like a 90-something. If it's a kicker, it's, you know, 42. But he's got something. You know what God says about your strength if we could... Set it up. Do you know how much strength God says you have? Especially if you want to get through a thorn and thrive while having a thorn in your life. You know what you've got to accept, God says, is that you do not have 34 in the strength category. You do not have a 2 in the strength category. You are at 0. 
and that your strength is a zero. See, oftentimes, we, we like to, I don't know why, but we see in the Christian life as, well, I have some strength, I have some power, and, you know, so I'll do what I can, and Jesus kicks in the rest. You know what's sad is that we would never say that about salvation. Oh, if someone said, oh, you know, I do a little bit of good works and then Jesus kicks in the rest, we'd be like, oh, yeah, you're not saved. But when it comes to the Christian life, all of a sudden we think, oh, well, I do the best I can and then Jesus kicks in whatever I can't do. God says, no, you want to thrive with a thorn? You need my strength and you got to realize this, you have no strength. You do not have a little bit that's failing. God says, you have absolutely no strength. You have no power in and, of, uh, in and of yourself to survive with a thorn. Folks, people who think they have a little bit of power, they don't survive the thorn. And he says, my, uh, my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, he gives thanks. He says, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory. That means I'll give thanks, therefore. Uh, would I rather glory in my infirmities, my lack of, of strength, he says, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You know, folks, the world wants to tell us, you're strong. That's a big message out there. I mean, I went on the internet. Here's just, uh, this was an unknown from uh, my wife's Pinterest page. I mean, it wasn't something she put on Pinterest, but I just saw it on. Uh, uh, what I'm trying to say is I don't have a Pinterest account. If I look at anything, it's because I looked at it on my wife's, uh, my wife's thing, okay? Unknown Pinterest quote says, Quote, you were given this life because you are strong enough to live it. Guess what? That is worldly philosophy. God says, you want to survive a thorn that's not going away? you got to realize you ain't strong. You have no strength. And until you're willing to accept that it's not, I do what I can and Jesus kicks in the rest, until you're willing to realize that, good luck with the thorn. Uh, here's another one. Eleanor Roosevelt, Roosevelt said, women are like tea bags. You never know how strong they are until they're in hot water. Ladies, is it not easy to put on a face for the others when it hurts inside and you want it to stop? We don't have strength in and of ourselves. We don't. Here's another one. Uh, author by the name of Janice Trachtman. Everything is within your power, and your power is within you. Not true. That is of the world. Actor Amy Schumer said, I say if I'm beautiful. I say if I'm strong. You will not determine my story. I will. You know what she does? It, you know, we, we laugh at that, but then we think we have strength in and of ourselves. We think no better than her. How about the great theologian Bob Marley? He said, you never know how strong you are until being strong is your only choice. You know what these people, these unsaved people, think? I have strength within myself. Guess what, folks? You aren't going to survive a thorn. Because the thorn's not going away. It's an annoyance that will make you think you can't accomplish God's will. And until you realize that you do not have strength at all and that you need God's power, you say, well, uh, well, I've got to do something, don't I? Like, uh, what, what's my part? Look, folks, if you're looking for my part of what you're supposed to do, I'll tell you what your part is. Your part is to depend on the strength of Jesus Christ. That's your part. Your part is not, Ugh. As long as you can, then let Jesus earth the rest. Your part is depending on God or you won't survive the thorn. And you'll be out of church and gone because you hurt so bad. And instead of taking the advice that God gave to the Apostle Paul and say, saying that you, you need my strength, 
you're trying to get your own and it will not happen. And he says, I would rather, I'm okay to glory in the fact that I am weak, that I have no strength in myself. He says, so that the power of Christ can rest upon me. The word rest has the idea of putting a tent down. Don't you want God's power on your life to parent? Don't you want God's power on your life? Don't you want God's blessing on you to witness to your unsaved people? Don't you want God's power to help you communicate God's word and be a witness? Don't you want God's power? Folks, if you've got a thorn in the flesh, God says, you want God's power? It'll come when you'll start asking for his strength and realize, I got none. I don't have a little. I've got zero. That's so anti what the world says, but it is so what God says, and let's go ahead with what God says instead of what Bob Marley says. That we, we don't have strength in and of ourselves. Folks, we need his strength to, to, survive, to make it through a physical ailment, to survive Satan's attack, to survive a person's verbal assault, to survive persecution, temptation. Folks, it's your choice how you want to respond. But if you're going to thrive with a thorn, you've got to recognize, I have access by prayer, to ask for grace and strength. And I've got to realize I have none of myself. And God says, when you land there, ask for power and admit to God I have no strength, God says, the power of Christ can now tabernacle on top of you. And he says, and so he's, you know, people, some people, they respond to a thorn in the flesh, whether that be in their physical flesh or spiritual, they respond by becoming bitter and blaming God. Uh, some just give up and fail to get any blessing. Some grit their teeth, determined to endure to the end. And that gritting ends up draining them of all even physical strength that's needed for daily living. But folks, we have got to accept and admit that we, have, that we are absent of any strength to deal with the thorn and ask God for the grace and power to overcome. And that's why in verse 10 he says, therefore I take pleasure. By the way, the phrase take pleasure does not mean, in this context, especially the verb, does not mean to have fun with. Some people might look at it and think, oh, yeah, Paul, he's something I could never be. Paul's saying, like, I can have fun while, ha while having a thorn. No, he's not saying that. The word take pleasure has the idea of being content. That thorn never got fun for Paul, but he said, I had to learn to be content. Therefore, I take pleasure. I learned to be content in infirmities, in reproaches. Reproaches is when insults and slander, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, there's that word again, the absence of strength. When I am weak, then am I strong. Not because, oh, I'm weak, therefore because I'm weak, I made myself strong. No, because you ask for God's power, he gives it. Folks, I like how he says, my grace is sufficient for you. So we all have different annoyances. Some are in the physical flesh. Listen, I'll tell you what. I, when I first studied this passage, and I got to the end of it, I thought, oh dear, my back's never going to get better. 2016, my back went out. And those of you, how many of you have a bad back? How many of you just, just, yeah, okay. My back went out in 2016, it's never been back. And you know what that means. When it is out, uh, it was out so bad I couldn't turn a screwdriver. And I'm still four years later trying to figure out the best way to just maintain the pain. Like some of you. And it ain't easy. Uh, some of you, it's something else. Like Spurgeon, you know, like Spurgeon had. Some of you, it may be something in the spiritual flesh. It's that there is someone, and they might live in the same house as you, or they visit the house an awful lot. 
and you are, don't mind saying, I think they might be an agent of Satan because they're driving you and pushing you to anger and to frustration, you know these people aren't going away. You know what I'm referring to, family. Since when is family going to go away? Usually not. Work? you got to work? It's not going to go away unless you really are able to quit and restart all over. You know what God says? Start asking for my strength and realize you got none. And he says, when you'll do that, watch the power of God on your life. If Paul was tempted to brag and God said, whoa, 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 <laughs> we ain't going there because I got a lot of things I need you to do. Paul and all the wonderful things he did. I wonder if his ministry might have been cut short. You know how many men in the Bible, especially the Old Testament, their ministries got cut short because of sinful choices, especially kings, in the Kings and Chronicles. But Paul, because he learned to get God's strength, was able to have finished the race with, and the course with joy and see God use him in great ways. And God can do that for you. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes.